Good morning. You might go, it's not Pastor Tom again. What is going on? Tom is feeling much better. He's at his granddaughter. Him and Karen are at his granddaughter's graduation up in Van Wert today. Isn't it a blessing that we can extend that opportunity to them? So, uh, so God bless you. Thanks for putting up with me for another week. We are, despite what your bulletin says, that's more of an advertisement for our summer series than what we're doing today. So uh, we're going to be doing a series starting, I think, in June called Soul Care. We're going to do that all summer. We got all kinds of S's that we've come up with to help all of us make sure we're taking care of our soul. We're very excited about this sermon series that's coming up. But for today and next week, we're still on the Through the Bible series. We're on week four. 40, I think we're in our 27th year of it or something like that. Uh, But we are on the book of John today, and what a great introduction, the song Great I Am, as we talk about the book of John. And uh, as I was kind of praying about what to talk about this week, I I remembered a story. uh, that It's not a story, it's something that happened in my life, but I, I, I remembered... Uh, back in high school, uh, I was I was on what we called the Fat Man Relay for in junior high, and then my freshman year of high school, my sophomore year of high school, I was a shot and disc guy, and uh, and during small meets, the shot and disc guys would do the four hundred relay and see how we we. We did, and we didn't do so well, but we got to run a little bit, which was comical for everybody. Uh, but something happened between. My sophomore and junior year of high school, I suddenly got into shape. I started doing the Herschel Walker workout. Anybody remember that? A thousand push-ups, a thousand sit-ups every single day? Literally, that's, that was my workout. And I suddenly got into shape, and, and uh, I wanted to be a sprinter, and everybody laughed at me because they still saw me as this fat kid. And we were, we were going to French Fieldhouse, and I think we have a picture of it. French Fieldhouse, uh, that's an indoor stadium over at OSU for, for working out. And I, I said, guys, uh, I, would, I would really like to work on sprinting and uh, learning how to do blocks and all that. And they say, you're not a sprinter. You're part of the Fat Man Relay. You're a shot and disc guy. You can't be with us. So I'm over looking pathetic. I, I've got to admit, I never really used blocks before. And I was trying to teach myself how to use blocks. And, and this guy comes up to me. His name is Butch Reynolds. He comes up to me and he, he says, says, you are awful. I mean, you don't know what you're doing, do you? And I said, absolutely not. I don't, I've never done this before. He said, I want to help you out. And he told me his name was Butch Reynolds, and he was an athlete there at Ohio State. And, and he taught me how to do blocks, and he said, you will, if you do this, you will always get out of the blocks faster than anybody else. It will give you a leg up. He was right. I was a, a different runner, and especially my senior year, uh, my claim to fame my senior year at regionals, I was, I was in the 400 relay for our team, no longer the fat man relay. I was in the, and I was our starter, and the, this little-known guy named Carlos Snow, who would go on to a great career at Ohio State, was next to me. And he was talking down to me and saying all kinds of things I can't repeat on a Sunday morning. And I didn't say a thing. 
and I handed the baton off the same time he did. I didn't beat him, but I handed it off. All because of Butch Reynolds. So I went on, I went to college, it's 1988. And I'm watching ESPN that night, and there's this big announcement that this guy, Butch Reynolds, broke one of the oldest records in the record book. He set the 400-meter record and blew away the old record. And you know what I said at that moment? That guy was way more, way more than what I saw that day in French Fieldhouse. He was way more than I saw at French Fieldhouse. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Lord, it's one of those days where it's, it's rainy and, and it, made, it just makes the day weird. And it's kind of humid and it makes the day weird. And Holy Spirit, we would just ask you to help us to focus on your word regardless of all those other things. And Lord, no matter what is happening in our lives, may your word penetrate our hearts today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, all of his people said, Amen. Amen. So we're in the book of John. And uh, we kind of how we've been doing this series, we talk about the context and the hot spot. So let's talk about the context of the book of John. The first question smart people ask, and tell your neighbor you're smart, is who wrote this book? And I know, I know it says John, so it must be John. But how do we know that for sure? John 21, 20 through 24 tells us, and you're welcome to open that up in your Bible It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. Everybody say, whom Jesus loved. Following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? That's really important because John did die. This is a disciple who is bearing witness about these things and has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So we believe the disciple that Jesus loved was a young guy named John. We believe that's who wrote this book. So he's going to have a little bit different perspective on this gospel and who Jesus is because Matthew, we're not sure if Matthew was a disciple of Matthew or if he was Matthew. Most people think he was a disciple of Matthew. Uh, Mark was a disciple of Peter. Luke was a disciple of, what did you learn two weeks ago? Thank you. You you remember, Luke was a disciple of, John was a disciple of Jesus. So he's going to have a little bit different perspective and a different framework. And the other reason he's going to have a different perspective is when you look at when it was written, 
This gospel, everybody argues about. The, the date range is very wide, 65 to 95 A.D. So scholars can't agree if it's earlier or later. But what I want you to see is John, being the youngest disciple, waited a long time to write the gospel as inspired by the Holy Spirit in him. He wrote it towards the end of his life. And how many of you are towards the end of your life? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Joe was already, weren't you? Yeah, I am. Uh, would you say you have a different perspective at the end of your life than you do in your 20s? And so John is going to tell us Jesus is way more than what you see. And as John lives, and John goes through everything, you know, John ends up a prisoner on Potmos and writes the book of Revelation. He, he gets boiled by oil and doesn't die. He has all these things that happen to him. So his perspective of Jesus is different by the end of his life than it is. He is way more than you see. Why did John write it? Well, I have a little thing that I'm going to have you and I read. Uh, so go ahead and put that up. Read that. Am I out of the way? Should I? Here. Let me go down here. And uh, John, read this with me, would you? John was written to a universal audience who had diverse beliefs. Stop! Would you say that's you? We are a diverse... Believe me, I'm getting to know some of you. We are a diverse people. All right, let's continue. John emphasizes the importance of belief in Jesus only because of the signs that reveal He is the Messiah and the I am statements that declare He is God. That isn't a bad overview of the entire book. So when we think of the context of John, uh, you can think of it from a big picture standpoint. There are seven I am statements. Everybody say I am. The, the seven in particular I am statements that are really important to the book of John. Now, why is an I am statement important? Well, Pastor Tom a couple weeks ago told us this. When Moses asks in the book of Exodus who he is to tell the Israelites that he is talking to, God identifies himself as Yahweh, which means I am. What does Yahweh mean? I am. Some of you old school folks who like King James Version, it's translated as Jehovah. All right? It's a different, we, we understand the letters differently. That's all that's different. It still means I am. So what Jesus is saying, don't miss this, whenever Jesus says I am, it's not like I'm saying I am. I am Rob. What you should get from that is I'm Rob, <laughs> right? When Jesus is saying, I am, he is saying, I am. I am God. And he does it seven times, seven different ways. The seven are these, and they're in your outline. We'll go through them quickly. The bread of life. Everybody say the bread of life. The bread of life. He, he is, he's more than, right? 
He is our sustenance, the light of the world. And we're going to hone in on that here in a little bit. And he said that in two different places, John 8, 12 and John 9, 5. We're going to hone in on John 5, 9, 5 in a little bit. The door of the sheep. Everybody say the door of the sheep. This is, this is a weird statement. I am the door of the sheep. And essentially he's saying, you get in through me. There's no way to get to the Father except through me. I am the door. Say, I am the door. No, you're not. Jesus is. That's as funny as I get. I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, right? We did that on Easter. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Say that one. That's good. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the last one is, I am the true. Everybody say true. True vine. Not the false vine. I am true. See, Jesus is more than what you see, isn't he? That's what John is saying. He is more than what you see. So what John does is put this this book together with these I am statements, and then he puts seven signs. He focuses in on seven signs that Jesus did that point to the fact that he is the Messiah. He's not just simply God who makes a difference eternally. He is the Messiah who makes a difference right now. Now some of you are going, what's with this seven thing? Seven is the number of completeness. God created the world in how many days? Six. What did he do on the seventh day? He enjoyed his creation. Seven is the number of completeness. So, he has these seven signs that Jesus is the Messiah. Number one, changing water into wine. Cool. Think how much you can make, much money you can make off that. No, that's not what he was here for. Healing the official's son was number two. Healing the invalid was number three. Feeding the multitude. Remember that cool story where you know there's a couple of fish, a couple of loaves, and he and everybody gets some, and there's some left over. Whoa! It's like Ryan's. Nobody goes there, right? Okay. Buffet. I'm telling you, I'm not very funny. Uh, (laughs) Walking on water. Walking on water. Uh, Number six, healing the man born blind. And finally, the seventh one is raising Lazarus. And again, what, what John is saying is Jesus is more than what you see. Would you say that Jesus is way more than what you see? Would you say that Jesus is way more than what you can see? So the third thing I want to show you context-wise in the book of John is that what, what, what is important for John is not that you just know. It's not important... For, important enough for you to know the I am statements and to know the seven signs... John writes this, 98 times he uses the word believe. That's what's important to John, that you believe 
that Jesus is way more than what you see. Not just that you acknowledge, that you believe it and you live your life that way. You believe it's not enough to experience a sign and wonder. You have to believe in the one who has created the sign and wonder. Are you there? Some people just want the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders don't save you. It's Jesus who saves you. The signs and wonders don't transform you. It is Jesus who transforms you. And if you don't believe, I'm going to get myself in trouble today. If you don't believe, the sign and wonder is wasted. It's wasted. That's what John is saying. Believe. John 20, 29 Uh, This is one of those believe things that is really important for us to understand from the book of John. There's this dude, Thomas, after the resurrection. He doesn't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. He says, unless I see the holes in his hands and the hole in his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus shows up and says, go ahead. And Thomas believes and Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen. Everybody say seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's you. That's we. We we have not seen Jesus physically. We're not going to get to do that till we get to heaven, but we believe based on the testimony and based on the miracles and based on the signs and based on the stories that people tell us. So what's our hot spot today then? What's our hot spot? Well, I, I was praying through this, and I, I've got to admit to you, I decided not to do the, the healing of diseases because I've seen that. I've seen people healed of diseases. And I, I think many of you have too. And, and so I, I'm like, and, and Pastor Tom just a few weeks ago did a marvelous sermon on healing. So I'm like, we're not going to do that. The, the, I've seen release from demons. It's another thing that, that one of the signs, I've seen people released from demons, and maybe you have not, but I have, but it, I've got 15 minutes left. I can't do demons in 15 minutes. All right, would you agree with me? Somebody say amen. So we're, we're just going to use that another time. I have seen food multiplied before. Now, not not to the extent of the feeding of the 5,000, but I've been at events where we did not have enough food and we prayed and we had enough food. So I've seen that. I have not seen water turn to wine. Have you? Uh, But as I prayed, I couldn't see, see what God would want me to tell you about water turning into wine. So I decided not to do that. I've not seen a person walk on water. Have you? But, I mean, yes, it's raining outside, but that's not going to make a difference in your life today to be able to walk on water. It would be cool, mind you, but it's probably not going to move you forward. Now, I have not seen a blind person see. I've never seen that happen. Where a person who is absolutely blind could not see. Maybe you have, but I've never seen that. And I thought, you know, we we know what blindness is. We, We know what spiritual blindness is. We know what physical blindness is. And we know how dark it is. Maybe that's what the Lord 
wants us to focus in on today. And I've not seen a dead person raise again. Uh, quite frankly, I've only tried it once and it, I, I didn't, it didn't work. I, I did it in a very brave way. I was at a funeral home. Nobody was around. Nobody was looking. And I went up to a body and prayed over it that it would rise. And it didn't. So, uh, but we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to focus on that. Why? Because on Easter, we already talked about that, didn't we? And, and by the way, when we talk about dead people rising, uh, when you think of Lazarus being raised from the dead, don't you feel bad for him? You feel good for his family, but don't you feel bad for him? He was in heaven. He knew, knew perfect peace, perfect love, perfect everything. I, feel, I always read that and go, bummer for Lazarus. So what is our hotspot? John 9, 1 through 41. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. I, I ask you to, to, to give me a, a little bit of a little bit of inch here to, to read a couple statements in there and then tell and tell you the story in between. Uh, John 9, 5. Jesus is with his disciples, and he looks at the disciple and says, John 9, 5, as long as I'm in the world. I am. What does that mean? He's God. I am the light. I am the light of the world. Don't we live in a world that's full of darkness? Don't we? I mean, yesterday, just around the corner from from where we live, they had to change the, the traffic patterns because the chief of police who was killed over in Kirkersville. When the darkness overwhelmed a man and he killed him and two others. We live in a world full of darkness. What we need is light. And God says, Jesus says, I am the light. But the thing is, Jesus knows we have to see it. We have to see it. So he looks around. And he sees a blind guy that everybody knew was blind. You know you can explain away miracles. I've seen healings explained away. You know, they, they even explain away Lazarus' resurrection. There is a thing in, in the medical field called a Lazar, the Lazarus condition. Where a person, they, we don't understand why, can be dead for a significant amount of time and then, then, then come back to life. You know, we can explain any miracle way. You know what you can't explain away? A person who's blind who can see. Now think about it. There, it's really hard to fake blindness, right? I mean, really well. You can get away with it for a little bit, but, but typically, yeah, in that day, if a person was blind, there, you could tell with their eyes that there was nothing there. And there's no trick to make a blind man see. There's nothing you can do to fake it. And, and you, can't get a, 
you can't get an extra dose, dose of endorphins and dopamine from an exciting moment where you feel better for a moment and think you are healed. You know, that happens sometimes. That dopamine doesn't make you see better. Jesus says, what better way to show I am the light of the world than to make this guy who cannot see. Does it get any darker than being blind? How many of you have played Marco Polo before? You know, some of you don't know what that is. When you're in the water... You know, and somebody blindfolds or closes their eyes and everybody is hiding in the pool. I mean, we had a little, my friends had a little 10 foot, 15 foot wide pool. And you're playing Marco Polo. You could not find people. It is dark when you close your eyes. Are you there? And Jesus looks at this blind guy. Oh, oh by the way, the blind guy says later in the story, this has never been done before. Go ahead, look in the Old Testament. A blind person has now. Think about this. You get excited about John 11 and the rising of Lazarus. People had risen dead people before. There are stories of that. The one that is a shocker is no one. Everybody say no one. No one has restored sight to the blind. How many of you wear glasses? Well, why don't we pray for you every week so your eyes would be healed? Oh, I just blew some of your minds. We just don't expect that a person's eyesight's going to get any better. And so Jesus looks down at this and... Uh, Poor John sits up front. And uh, I, I don't have the mud. I thought about doing this, but I decided not to. Jesus spits on some dirt. Wouldn't that have been fun to reenact? Yeah. And rubs the mud on the guy's eyes. And then goes, go do this. And Jesus leaves. He never sees Jesus. He never sees Jesus at the beginning of the story. And his eyes are healed. But does he know the person? Does he No, he's just experienced a miracle, a sign. One that's never been done before. One that, 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 that gets people to go, what is going on? See, Jesus is saying, I am greater than the darkness. I am the light. How do we know this is a sign? The Pharisees say it's a sign. Some of the Pharisees said, verse 16, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Everybody say signs. This is a, they're getting it. Something is happening here. This Jesus is way more than we can even see and imagine he can cut through the very darkness of your life. What is your darkness? What is your darkness? Some of you have come here because you see a little bit of light here. 
but you are swallowed up by darkness. And it might be the darkness of alcoholism. It might be a darkness of depression. It might be the darkness of hatred. There is a darkness that grabs a hold of us in this life, in this world. The bitterness, the envy, all of these things come from the darkness and the light exposes them. Let me tell you, there was a darkness in my life that that took years for the light to break through. My, uh, My parents decided to get divorced and told us uh, the day after Christmas. And uh, New Year's was a big, big day in our house. We, the Van Sickles would either come to our house for New Year's Eve and New Year's, or we would go to their house. We would have prime rib and twice-baked potatoes and shrimp cocktails and, and, and play games through the through the night and celebrate New Year's. And then in the morning, we would get up and get ready to watch the Ohio State Buckeyes typically lose in the Rose Bowl, but not not all the times in the 70s, did they? It was a big thing. And I remember that being gone. That, That was my, you know, That was my question as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 6th grader, whatever I was. Are we still doing New Year's? No, from that point on, our life was never the same. It It was different. And for a long time... January was a tough month for me. I'll admit, I would become incredibly depressed during the month of January. Into February, actually, early on. And uh, it, it was hard, and I, I never told anybody. And you know what? If you are experiencing darkness and you don't tell anybody who's in the light, you know what? The light will not be exposed to you. And I remember Amy saying, what is going on with you? What a, when we were first married, see, you can hide that stuff when you're not living with somebody, right? Amen? But see, uh, we were, got married, and she's like, what is going on with you? And I had to tell her. And, and so I, I would start praying and praying that, you know, that maybe instead of 30 days of darkness, I could just have 29 and 28, and 27, and 26. And finally the, the, the light broke t- through. And this is a cool part of light. There is a, a point that the light just spills over and no darkness can be there. And I can't tell you when I no longer suffered from depression in January. Because finally the light broke forth. And I could see in the darkness. Some of you are struggling with darkness and you're wondering if Jesus can be the light of the world for you. And John says, yes! So what do we do about this? What do we do? Well, what does John say? we got to believe. 
We've got to believe that Jesus is the light. And so we see two different responses to this story. One, the Pharisees in John 9, 18. The Jews did not what? The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. It has to be a different guy. And even though they came to be convinced that the guy was, was genuine, they, they never believed that Jesus is the light. One of the things I love in the story, it's kind of funny, when they are questioning the parents, the parents go, they don't want to get in trouble, so they go, hey, he's over, he's, he's of age, which would be 12 uh, or older. He's of age. Uh, you go ask him. Great parenting right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, ah. <laughs> All right. John 9, 35, 39. What did I say about signs and miracles? They are wasted if we don't believe. That's nice that he can see. That's fantastic. That, that is a life changer, but it's not an eternal life changer. See, it's better to die blind and know Jesus as your Lord and Savior than to live with sight and never accept Jesus. Did you hear me? It is better. But we see in John 9, 35-39, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you what? Believe, Believe in the Son of Man. He answered and. Who is he? See, he hadn't seen him. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Everybody say seen. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. Come on, this is a vineyard. Lord, I believe. This is big. Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, For judgment I come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Which are you? Which are you this morning? I, I, I want to, I want you to believe. But more importantly, John wants you to believe. More importantly, Jesus wants you to believe that he is the light of the world. Do you? Do you? This morning as the worship team comes up, I want to invite you uh, to maybe worship seeing Jesus. And ask him this, Jesus, would you help me to see you like I've never seen you before? Would you, would you ask them that? We're, we're going to sing this song. I know you've never heard about it, heard of it. It's amazing grace, my chains are gone. You never heard of that. That's a brand new song. You, you won't know how to sing it. This is going to be a struggle. But it's from John chapter 9. From John chapter 9. 
Maybe you never knew that before. And for some of you, you are struggling today. Just the darkness has overwhelmed you. And you've never believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this morning, I want, I want you to have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. See Him as your Lord and Savior. Believe in Him as your Lord and Savior. If you would do that this morning, I invite you forward. Some of you are struggling with depression. Let's just name it. It's a darkness. Some of you are beyond depression and having suicidal thoughts. And I'll tell you what, when you get enmeshed in that, that darkness can overwhelm you. And what I want to say to you, Jesus wants to be the light. He is there. He wants to break forth in the midst of your darkness. If, if that is you this morning, I, I want to invite our prayers up. Let's try that again. I want to invite some prayers up. Thank you, prayer team. And they're there to pray with you. Because if you don't speak the light into the darkness, there is no light in the midst of the darkness. But when you start speaking it out and letting people pray for you, the light will break through. Amen? For some of you, this morning is about perspective. Jesus wants to be more for you than he ever has been before. Will you let him? Will you just come up to the river? We call this a river of grace, right? The flow of the Holy Spirit is just very special here. If you want to see Jesus more than you've ever seen him before in your life just invite you to come up here and worship him whatever he's calling you to I encourage you to believe and follow him into that amen